0: Okay, everybody, we are back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for tuning in week after week. You guys are fantastic. And I want you to know how much I love and appreciate your, your support. It's been fantastic. I need to give a shout out to our sponsors, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, Hill Institute, Veracity Networks, and um, Living Interventions Recovery. You guys are amazing. We also have some private donors that didn't want any credit, which I thought was really cool. They just love the cause, and so a shout out to them. We'll send some energy out in the universe for them. <laughs> and um, today we're joined by the best-selling author of True Grit and Grace: Turning Tragedy into Triumph, Amberly Lago. Amberly, thank you for joining us.
1: Todd, thank you so much for having me. I love your show, and to get <laughs> to be here with you on your show and connect with you and your audience is truly an honor. So thank you.
0: Well, you know, thank you too. And I, you you know, our listeners today are in for a a big treat. Um, It's going to tug on your heartstrings, and you are going to be surprised of what you're going to hear today. But little background on Amberly: She is a peak performance coach, TEDx speaker, podcaster, a leading expert in the field of resilience and transformation, and the founder of Unstoppable Life Mastermind. Amberly creates a, res, uh, a resilient company culture, empowers employees to collaborate and connect, shows them how to see things with fresh eyes, and shares how you can bounce forward and work smarter, not harder. She shows you how to create an advantage out of adversity and thrive and not just survive, which I love. Uh, she builds grit, inspires hope, fuels passion, uncovers your superpower of resilience. Um Amberlee has most recently been featured on NBC's The Today Show, The Doctors, Hallmark, and featured in magazines such as Shape, Fit Pregnancy, Yahoo, Health Magazine, Keynote Speaker Magazine, and Disability Magazine. She is a wife and a mother. Um, she is a miracle. She has been through so much. And you guys, you're in for a treat. And, you know, behind me, I've never done this on a podcast, but I'm going to point to this quote on my wall behind me um, that Amberly can see. And it's mm. by Ferdinand Foch. And it says, The most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. Mm. Amberly is on fire. And oh. you guys are just going to love what you're going to hear today. It's going to change and, and shape your life in a way that you weren't expecting. So, Amberly, thanks for being here.
1: Well, I'm getting all teary eyed. <laughs> for- <laughs> we haven't even started yet. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're going to make me cry. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And again, I just, I'm grateful to be here. And it's funny when you were reading the bio, it's, I've come, yeah, I am an expert in resilience only because (laughs) I have failed and fallen and messed up and so many times. And so for you that are listening, you know, I think sometimes when you read, you hear a bio or that somebody's done something. Yeah. It, it seems like, oh, wow, well, look at they're lucky, look at them. And it's like, yeah. I just want to say it's been a journey. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. And to <laughs> be here with you today is, is it is a miracle. And I don't take that for granted. I'm really yeah. grateful.
0: I know you don't. And I you know, I share this with my clients all the time that life happens for us, not to us. And you are a, a living example of that exact statement. And, it, you know, you've been through so much. And one thing I want to state, and, and, and I want to point this out, and, I've, you know, we have some mutual friends here that live in Salt Lake. You're coming live from Texas right now. And the, the, every single person that I know that knows you says this, and I can feel it already, just how kind you are. Oh. Like, you are a kind person, despite the tragedy and the, and the struggles you've been through. You just, you're kind.
1: Thank you. You probably hear that a lot. No, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Again, you're making me get all emotional. (laughs) I mean, well, before we started recording, I was like, oh, I'm so glad to be here. I got lost. We just moved to Texas (laughs) and I was rushing around. I've been getting a lot uh, lost a lot lately here, and it's been a, a great way to find kind people around me. Yeah. There's a lot of nice people. And I think that I really appreciate when someone is kind, yeah. it just changes your whole day, you know? And so yeah,
0: really yeah I,
1: I, I really try to be kind because it shifts the energy wherever you go. Yeah. And it's just something that gives me joy when I can see ever since I was a little girl, ever since I could see that I could make a difference in somebody's day just by doing something, you know, kind yeah. or being kind it doesn't cost anything to do that. And we can all do it. So whether yeah. it's, you know, the other day we, we, um, when we first moved to Texas, we were in the drive through at Starbucks and we paid for the guy's coffee or whatever behind us. Oh yeah. And we had pulled over and this guy in this truck pulls up And he go, he rolled down a window and I'm like looking over and he goes, is it you? And I said, what do you mean? Is it me? What what, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) He goes, did you just pay for my coffee? And I was like, oh yeah, that was me. And he's like, thank you so much. I had a really hard day and that was so nice. But I had done yeah. it and, and kind of moved on to the next and forgotten about it. And we sure. were, you know, trying to figure out how to get back home to our, our new house, <laughs> but it like, it made me happy that yeah. that made his day. So those little acts of kindness, and you don't have to buy coffee for anybody. I mean, you can open the door or just yeah, ask sure. somebody how they're doing, but I was saying people in Salt Lake, my friends there are the kindest people, Mm -hmm. like my true blue friends, we know Tiff Peterson and Brooke Hemingway and Randy Garn and so many amazing people there.
0: Great people. Yeah. Well, again, it's great to have you on. Why don't we start with tell us where you grew up, uh, Amberly, and a little bit about your childhood.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I grew up not far from where I am right now in Texas. I grew up in a really small town called Greenville, Texas, and it's grown a little bit bigger now. Uh And, you know, my mom divorced when I was eight and remarried. And so that was pretty tough. Um, had, you know, brothers and one sister. Um, but it really got tough when I started getting sexually abused by my stepfather, Oh, which, wow. you know, you, you turn to adults and someone you yeah. trust. And then when they do something that, you know, in your gut is not right, but they tell you it's right. It teaches you as a child to not trust your gut. For sure, and yeah. it's taken a lot to learn to trust my gut again, because your gut never lies. Right. But, um, I knew at a young age that I wanted more out of life. I wanted more than that small town. There's nothing wrong with a small town, but I just felt like I didn't fit in. Like I was the black sheep. I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. And and thankfully I had dancing and athleticism to really get me out of that shame and the pain that I went through from the sexual abuse. Um, just to have that outlet. And I think my default was to do whatever I could to, to. And the more that I got better grades, the more that I won all those track meets and the dance competitions that were when I went to this dance convention in Dallas and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be on mm. stage dancing just like them. And then of course, you know, MTV came out music videos. (laughs) And I thought, wait a minute, you can get paid to dance. I could get paid to do what I love. And so I thought, well, I, we didn't have the money to take a lot of dance classes or anything like that. So I did whatever I could to work. And I knew from a young age that I was going to have to work and save up enough money if I wanted to move to California So I started working at like age nine, I was babysitting at age 13, I started teaching dance at age 16, I was working at the mall, I was a lifeguard. And by the time I was 18, I had saved up $1,200. And I knew when I graduated from high school that I was going to pack up my little Suzuki Samurai and hit the road. And that's exactly what I did.
0: <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny. I, I, I used to drive a Suzuki Samurai way back you did? In, in college. Yeah. <laughs> that's they funny. were
1: fun. Those they things fun. would flip, man. They were yeah. fun though.
0: Yeah. Well, well, so man, I mean, you know, you, you went through some sexual abuse as a child. I mean, again, we're not to go into all the details there, but I'm sure I, I mean, how did you find that strength, even as a child, to, to begin to pursue the dream and, and go? I got to start saving money and work hard. And how did you how did you manage that? And did you, you know, did you have help back then going through that?
1: No, I didn't actually. Mm. Wow. Um, I remember, you know, when you go through something like that, there's this deep pain, but there's this horrible shame that comes along with it. That yeah, right they tell you you know you feel like you're the bad one you, it, you just feel icky you feel it feels horrible and you know my stepdad had a degree in psychology and the mental things and the games he would play with me and he would tell me that i'm gonna kill your mom if you say anything and so oh my god, i believed him and so yeah. I carried around secret but i also never felt safe in my own home so I started, I never wore a bathing suit in public around him or anything. Mm-hmm. I never yeah. wore my dance lid tart around him. I always wore big baggy clothes in front of him. Yeah. And I remember, you know, there was one night just sitting at the kitchen table and he had his back turned towards my mom was doing the dishes. And he said, you know, he would say things like you just wait until your mom leaves. He would mouth oh it. Gosh. And so there was this constant wow. fear a fear of, What is he going to do to me next? What is he going to do to my little brother? What is he going to do to my mom? And I got to the point where I think I was about 13 and I went to my dad and I told my dad, I said, dad, please, you got to promise you won't tell anybody. And I told him what happened and he didn't tell anybody and he didn't do anything. Oh, man. Years later, after I had written in my book about it, which was the hardest thing to write about, it really healed my relationship with my dad because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know. And he said, I'm so sorry. You told me not to tell anybody. So I didn't. Well, it was really a cry for help.
0: And at that
1: point, when I didn't get help, it was a gift to me because I knew at that point, it was up to me to take care of myself. And the next time my stepdad came into my bedroom and he grabbed me, I'm getting kind of graphic, I guess, but he grabbed me by the hair and pulled me down on the bed. And I kicked him and I fought him as hard as I could. And the look on his face, when I fought back, that was the last time he ever touched me. And it was not only my passion for wanting to dance and mm-hmm. pursue my career but it was an also a gift in a in a sword if you want to look at it that yeah. way yeah. that there was no way i could stay there because it was not safe for me so i was gonna get out of there i had to go somewhere and so right. um it that pain pushed me along And my passion fueled me to, And I was like, I'm going to make it. I didn't have a lot of people that believed in me. I didn't have parents that were like, we're going to go with you to California and set you up in a nice little apartment. And, you know, I remember my stepmother said, I think you're making a big mistake. And I remember... You know, my mom saying, Mm -hmm. "Why are you packing everything? You're going to be back in a couple of weeks." (laughs) So I didn't have a lot of belief in me. So I had to believe in myself, and I think that's really important that that belief has to come from you.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm I'm a huge believer of what you just said. I mean, our beliefs dictate our behavior, and I also say this a lot: adversity is the wake up call to our greatness. And, and you had, I mean, unfortunately, some people turn the other direction where they'll go and close off and isolate, but yet you're like, you know what? Okay. I don't have the support, but I'm going to go do this. And man, what a, what a decision that was for you at that time. And well, you really are the... Uh, poster child for res- resiliency. <laughs> you know oh. It's amazing. And little did you know what maybe this was preparing for you for your other uh, challenges uh, ahead, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think everything that we go through prepares us for everything that we're destined to be and do. And sometimes in the moment, we have no idea that what we're going through because it's so hard and painful yeah. or shameful or challenging. But it does build resilience. Every failure builds resilience. Every struggle builds resilience and going through those tough times. And and I knew, I think it's really important to hold that vision for yourself because if you know where you want to go, when you go through the valleys of just hardship and tough times, you can keep your eye on that vision and go, okay, this is just a hard moment. And if I really want to get to that next level, I just need to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward. And so, you know, when I first got to LA, I mean, thank goodness, I mean, ignorance is bliss. Cause I had <laughs> no idea like what I was in for, you know, coming from a small town. Oh yeah. I was a, I was a pretty darn good dancer, but when I got to LA, I remember walking into the front of the room, like I have arrived, I yeah. am ready for dance class. And they kicked my butt. Let me, <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, it's like 80 years old. And she walked around the room with this big stick that she would bang on the floor. And she told me, she screamed at me in front of the entire class and was like, I am going to cut your arms and legs off and throw you out the door. If you don't point your feet better. And I remember going, wow. Oh my gosh, my dance teacher in Texas didn't talk to me like this. <laughs> and I left that ballet class and went around the corner of the building. And I knew no one, I knew no one. And I remember crying and having that talk with myself and being like, Amberly, you better pull up your bootstraps. If you really want to be a professional dancer, yeah, you, you suck. You're gonna have to work harder. Like <laughs> I, I was, yeah. like I had to say, sure, you know. And that's when I realized, and um, that it's not necessarily about the talent. It's about how hard you work, how often you show up, yeah. the kindness that you show. Because you know what, Todd, I. Showed up every day after that. I went into the very next dance class, and let me tell you, the ballet teacher was kind of surprised to see me back after oh, she I threatened bet. to cut I my arms, legs off. <laughs> I but I showed up, and I kept showing up, and I kept showing up. And one month later, there I had this goal. And I thought if I can keep showing up, they're going to have an audition in a month for a scholarship program. And I can't afford dance classes in Los Angeles. And I need an agent. I need to get better. So I can just keep showing up to dance classes. Maybe they'll notice me. Well, they did notice. And I got on scholarship. I was the worst one on scholarship. And (laughs) at the end, I was awarded for, um, I guess it was, uh, most improvement.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Dancing every single day, seven days a week. I had three different agents that wanted to represent me. And then my dance career began.
0: That's amazing. Again, there's that resilience again, right? You know, and you pulled yourself up and said, okay, I got to do this. And no wonder you called your, your, your book, true grit. <laughs> you're a gritty woman. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I love that. Well, so, you, you know, you're in LA. We'll, we'll kind of jump ahead here now. And I, and I love what you've shared so far, but I want to get into, you know, you, I, if, correct me if I'm wrong. You married the love of your life. You just had a baby, if I remember correctly. And then, then you had some, something tragic happen in 2010, and so why don't we just kind of pick up from there and just kind of tell us what happened and, and share, share this, uh, this tragedy of what you went through.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah. I had, you know, had a very successful career in dance and then transitioned and was sponsored by Nike. I was doing infomercials. Wow. Um, I'd worked with body by Jake. I mean, I was on, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. And you know, you would go into any Rite Aid or CVS and you'd see vitamin labels with a picture of me and my daughter on the label. I had several trainers that worked for me. I had a very successful business. And yes, finally, after two failed marriages, met the man of my dreams. And I kind of thought, Wow. Life is good. I, yeah. this is good. I'm living the California dream. Like all that grit right. paid off, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, I had just ran 11 miles, trained some clients and it was a holiday weekend. And I jump on my Harley, I'm on my way home. And it's just one of those beautiful California days and wind blowing through my hair. Yeah. And this SUV shoots it out of a parking lot and crashes right into me. T-bones me. I'm thrown 30 feet for sliding across the asphalt and not knowing if I was sliding into traffic or where yeah. I was going. Oh my gosh. And feeling immediate pain. And when we stopped, I looked down at my leg and it was just, it was broken oh, into pieces. And it man. was, I remember like if I let go of my leg, there was blood everywhere. And I just, I started cussing. And it's fine because I was cussing. And then I thought, oh, my Methodist mom wouldn't be proud of that cuss word. Wow. (laughs) I can't believe I just said that. And then I was like, oh, wow. I have some pulled pork in my backpack. And this is my husband's brand new backpack. There's going to be pork everywhere. And I'm worried about my husband's backpack, my mom. Then I'm thinking, oh gosh, I might have to train clients on crutches for a while. Like I was worried about everybody else, my clients, my mom, my husband, cussing, like all these things. And I'm literally dying. My femoral artery is severed. Wow! I didn't know at the time, but I was bleeding out. I had this guy that was really, he saved my life. He came over right away and made a tourniquet around my leg. Mm. I was rushed to the hospital. It was my ever seen him cry. He's a first responder. He's a Lieutenant commander with a highway patrol. And so yeah. I'm used to him. He's a big, tough guy. And he yeah. was freaking out. And I thought maybe this was it that I was going to die and I thought oh gosh I need my husband to pull it together I need to make sure he's going to be okay to take care of our kids and I yelled across the room honey I need you to get over here and be strong for me mm. and the room got dead quiet yeah and and that was the last thing I remember before they put me in induced coma because I was literally you know I'd lost so much blood. They couldn't control my pain. And when Mm. I woke up from a coma is when I learned that they were going to have to amputate my leg, I had a 1% chance of saving it. And that is when the journey of healing truly began.
0: Yeah. And I know, you know, you didn't obviously want to lose your leg and that 1% chance you're like, you know, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to take that chance. And I want our listeners to know you still have your leg. Um, and but uh obviously you went through I think what was it 34 surgeries after that uh on Third, your leg?
1: Thir- yeah, 34 surgeries. Now, had I known it was gonna be 34 <laughs> surgeries, I might have been like, you know what, just go ahead and take it. <laughs> yeah, take the leg. <laughs> take it. I'll skip those surgeries. But I just heard you have a 1% chance. And I thought, oh, well, and the one doctor we found, and I got transferred and months and months in the hospital, and you know thousands of hours of excruciating physical therapy, I have my leg, but I do still have a lot of pain. And I yes. feel like pain's been my biggest teacher to be better and you can heal and grow and teach others along the way.
0: Yeah. Well, and that pain, um, is that the, the CRPS that you've mentioned? Um, yeah. And that stands for com- complex regional pain syndrome, which is like, considered the worst pain anyone can go through. If that, is that correct?
1: Yeah. um, So I thought, you know, okay, I've got this, my legs crushed. It was basically the doctor said like a saltine cracker that you just took in your hand and crumbled. And so the bones were just, it took actually two years for the non-union in my leg to grow back together so i was walking on a metal plates and then a rod for two years wow. when i could finally do some weight bearing extra, you know stand up on my yeah. leg and right. um about three and a half months later you know they had told me that it was going to take me two years to walk again and i was like oh really well i will show you i am gonna walk and as soon as they told me i could do weight bearing i was like I was not completely weight bearing, but I was upright on crutches, which was very painful, but I was like, I just want to be upright.
0: Yeah, right. And,
1: um, I remember going into a doctor and thinking to myself, he's going to be so proud of me. And I walked in and got the worst news of my life. He took a look at me, did a, you know, a Mm -hmm. checkup and he was like, you have something very serious. And I'm like, I was kind of like, yeah, I know I got hit by an SUV, but can we get on with this appointment? Like, (laughs) I know it's pretty serious, but like how much longer until I'm running again? And, um, he said, you've got complex regional pain syndrome and your life is never going to be the same. Wow. There's no known cure back in your wheelchair. And I was like, okay, for how long? And he's like, forever. This is, there is no known cure. You are going to be in pain the rest of your life and
0: oh my goodness
1: disabled probably have to wear orthopedic shoes and I was like heck no I'm not wearing orthopedic (laughs) shoes like I was like so no 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 I cried all the way home and I didn't go back home and get in my wheelchair instead I got home switched cars with my husband went to straight to physical therapy and Terry the physical therapist was like "Amberly, what are you doing here you don't you don't have an appointment today. And I said, I know I don't Terry, but I just learned something and I'm Mm going to have to work harder than I've ever worked before. If I want to have the life that I have imagined that I vision for my, this vision I have for myself. Yeah. Yeah, And, um, I was at that PT so much that I actually have a key to the place. They gave me a key to the <laughs> facility. They're like, okay, right. here, here's your key. Yeah. Just come. It's your new home, you know? Yep. And, um, it's been a journey.
0: Oh yeah, my goodness. Can't even imagine. Uh,
1: ketamine infusions. I'd never done a drug in my life. Ketamine infusions to try to reboot my nervous system. Right. Anybody that is listening that has any kind of nerve pain, I know you get it. It's like, yeah. this pain that's almost untouchable. Um, for me, it's like a vice grip on my leg and a burning, um, like battery acids in my veins and, oh my God. um, spinal blocks, spinal stimulator, ketamine, nothing was working. Mm. I mean, I was on 73 homeopathic pills a day and 11 different prescription medications. And I was really, Anybody that would say, Oh, I've got something that'll treat your pain. I was like, really? Yeah. Let me buy it. Let, Let me, me try take that. it. Let yeah. me do it. Let me. And you know, nothing was working. And that really got me into trouble uh with drinking because mm. I started drinking wine and mm, yeah you know, I was never a drinker. There's a lot of alcoholism and addiction in my family. And I always thought, well, I'm going to be different. I'm not like them. I'm going to do something with my life. Right. And lo and behold, I remember having a glass of wine going, wow, the doctor didn't, why didn't the doctor just tell me to have a glass of wine to kind of ease that nerve pain, to help me stuff down these feelings of, unworthiness and inadequacy and the shame. Cause I'm scarred like deformed now on my right side and from the hip down and to go from being this fitness model, doing infomercials to yeah. completely stuck scarred and deformed and your body doesn't yeah. work the way it was just in every kind of pain, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I was broken. And mm. I kind of, I was like, nothing's working, screw it. I'm just going to drink. And let me tell you, I remember thinking, well, this isn't the healthiest thing to do, but if this is what I have to do to get by and to help with the pain, I guess I'll just do it. And that worked until it didn't. Mm. And my life came spiraling down quick. And all of a sudden, you know, I had kind of this double life of everything on the outside. I was trying to hold it all together and pretend like I was okay. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want people to know that I was in pain. I didn't want people to see that anything was wrong. I would try to cover up all of my scars and try my best to walk without a limp and try to like fit in with the other moms. I remember when my youngest daughter went to a new school thinking, I'm going to try so hard to walk without a limp because I don't want anybody asking me any questions. I just want to fit in. I just want to be normal, whatever that is. I just want to be normal. I was trying to get my life back. And I think that when we go through something, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that resilience isn't bouncing back and it's not going backwards and trying to fix what's broken broken mm-hmm. it's really moving forward and choosing the courage to reinvent yourself Ooh, to open your mind that. up to do new things cuz when you're constantly trying to fix what's broken or go back to the old You can't see these big, huge opportunities in front of you. And so I don't think it's going back. I think it's bouncing forward and moving forward with grit and giving yourself a lot of grace along the way.
0: Wow. I love that. That's very well said. And I think that's amazing advice. And I love that. You know, there was a time where I think you talk about where you got on your knees and you prayed, you know, will you talk a little bit about that and how your faith has kind of helped you? again, you know, move forward and bounce forward and and to reinvent yourself, so to speak.
1: Mm -hmm. I remember, um, there, we were in this tiny little rental house because we were remodeling our house at the time. And it, it just, I was, like I said, trying to hold it all together. And there was a moment and I thought, I am, I mean, I'm just going to, I know you share a lot of like vulnerable stories here, so I'm going to be completely transparent with you because this isn't something I've shared a lot. Oh, wow. Thank you. I remember taking a swig of vodka straight out of the bottle. Like I just needed to get out of pain as mm-hmm. fast as I could. So forget yeah. the glass, forget. I was like, the bottle was in the closet and I was taking a swig and I, it was like, I caught a glimpse. How did this happened to me? How did someone who was so successful end up like this? And then I got into that whole victim mentality. Like I was like, how did a good girl like me end up here? Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I've got a choice here. I can keep, I'm going to kill myself. And now then I understood why they called CRPS the suicide disease, because a lot of people kill themselves either quickly when they realize they're going to live the rest of their lives like that, or they slowly kill themselves like I was doing. And I was slowly killing myself every day. My spirit, physically, my liver enzymes were elevated 300 times the normal rate. Oh you know, I remember goodness. going for a checkup and the doctor called me, the doctor never calls. You're lucky if you get a call from the right. nurse or the front desk, the yeah. doctor called and he's like, do you drink? And I'm like, Oh, occasional glass of wine here, or there. And I was like, yeah. well, your liver enzymes are saying something totally different, you know? Mm. And so I kept getting these wake up calls, but it was the yeah. moment that I got down on my knees and i prayed for god to help me please what do i do i mean i get emotional just thinking about it yeah wow and i still pray every morning every who sometimes throughout the day several times a day yeah um and it was like you know we don't we're not meant to do hard things alone yeah and um I had a client that I knew that was in recovery. Boy, I was so embarrassed, so shame. It took every ounce of courage for me to go to her and say, Gosh, I need help. I think yeah. I have a problem. Yeah. And she said, You know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to take you to a meeting. And I waited around for about a week. And um I never got a call. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I need help now. And so I Googled recovery meetings and I was like, man, Google was awesome because I was like, I need a time when my husband's at work and he's not going to know about it. And my daughter's in school and I found a meeting and Todd, I went from sneaking my drinking to sneaking, going to recovery because my husband was a cop. And when I had mentioned that I had a problem, he's like, you don't have a problem. No. My wife does not have a problem. Yeah. I arrest people that have problems. Right. Anybody would drink yeah. if they knew what you were going if they were going sure. through what you're going through and have to live in the pain, they would too. But I knew deep in my heart, I was like, "No, this is not me. This is not the life I want. I need help and I need help now." And I showed up to a meeting that was a recovery program. And I sat in the back of the court in a corner in between this girl with a cowboy hat and a nun. And I was like, "Where the heck am I? Right. Where did I go yeah. <laughs> man and And I heard hope. Hmm. Everyone shared, and i I heard people share my story, what not exactly my story but it was so similar. They did yeah. the same things. And yeah. I heard women who had gotten through the other side and I thought, okay, I got to keep coming back as scary as it was. And yeah. I had to sit on my hands. Cause at this point I hadn't had a drink and I was having tremors. I'd become physically addicted to alcohol and I kept going back and I went to other meetings and uh, and it was scary. And I didn't know that you weren't supposed to share every week. I was just like raising my hand. Yep, I need help. Yep, I need help. And asking for help saved my life.
0: Wow, that is amazing. And again, I chuckle because again, it just reminds me again of the resilient person that you are and that grittiness you have. You're raising your hand every week. Oh, no, I'm sharing again you know, you want to, you want to figure this out. And so, wow. And I love what you said, asking for help saved your life.
1: It's scary. I mean, it was so scary. You know, I had this, um, this mentality, you know, growing up where, you know, it was like, suck it up, get her done, hide your crazy and be a lady. Like you just, you know, and, in, in everything I did, you know, um, growing up with a mom who she's amazing she's I love my mom and we have a great relationship but she's a southern belle and it was like yeah. you don't show your pain you don't talk about it you don't share your vulnerabilities my dance teacher would would say i don't care what's going on in your life i don't care if you your dog just yeah. died or you lost your best friend when the needle goes on the record and you turn around to teach your class you put a smile on your face and you get her done and so my whole mentality was like, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't acknowledge anything. Don't share. And, and I could, you know, suck it up only works so much. And you have to let those feelings come up or it's, it, for me, it was like, I was pushing them down, pushing them down. It was like the springboard and they all came up and I was like, okay. I, and I think I cried for the first year Going to meetings. Like I and I mean yeah. I still cry a lot. I, I didn't cry for years and now I I cry. Yeah. And you know, my poor 13-year-old, she'll start crying. And my husband, who's all like tough, he'll be like, Suck <laughs> it up, girl. She's gonna need parents like us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. One saying suck it up, and another one like, cry, come here, let me yeah. put your head on my shoulder. Come yeah. on over here. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, we probably need a good balance of both, right? We, there's mm-hmm. times where we do have to suck it up. But there's times where it's good to have a good cry, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know you're really big on gratitude. And talk about gratitude, uh, just for a minute here, and how that's been really helpful. You know, I really believe gratitude is the most powerful stimulant on the planet. And I know that that was a big part of you you know, you know, working through this. Talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah. You know what, Todd? I think that gratitude is what really saved me mentally when I was Mm. in the hospital. So when I was in the hospital, laying in the hospital bed, my leg was completely exposed and it was Held together, or they would have to come and replace the bandages, and they would rip them off the inside of my leg, and it was so oh. painful. Oh. I remember one night laying in bed because I never slept. I would just look at that clock, waiting for them to come. And laying in bed, and this infomercial came on, and there was this beautiful girl dancing on TV in a bikini, and I started thinking, "Oh my gosh." What if I never wear a bikini again? What if I'm all scarred up? What if my husband never loves me? What if I can't run? What if I can't chase after my kids? What if I lose my leg? What if, what if like I was, what if I die? I was just spiraling into this depression and despair And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I I got a choice here. I can focus on that or I can focus on what I'm grateful for and what I do have. And somebody brought me this little notepad in the hospital and I started writing down everything I was grateful for. I mean, every nurse that came in to see me, my clients that were coming in that, that were bringing me food for the window, for the view that I had in the hospital, that I had breath, that I was alive, like everything and anything I could think of, I started writing down what I was grateful for. And so I noticed it shifted my mindset on what I could do and what I did have. And it's such a powerful tool. It's alchemy. It really changes your life. It really is.
0: I love that. That just gave me chills. It's alchemy. Um, It changes, it changes the molecules. It changes the, the frequency. It changes all of that. Mm -hmm. what, and, and it seems so simple, like, Oh, I have to do is right now what I'm grateful for. And we hear it all the time. Hey, gratitude is like so amazing, but here you are proving to us who's listening to this, what it did for you in that moment. I love what you said. It, it saved you mentally being there, looking at your leg and seeing what you're going through. Wow. Mm
1: -hmm. I had to focus on what I could do. And so one of the things that, You know, I was like, okay, well, I can't get out of this bed. I couldn't even use the bathroom on my own, Mm -hmm. but I was like, okay, well, what can I do? What am I grateful for? I'm grateful. I can still move my arms. I still have my mind. I still have my faith. I still have some hope. I asked the doctor to bring me a pull-up bar. I could do some pull-ups and I had a pull-up bar installed over the hospital bed. So I could do some pull-ups in the hospital bed. I had a friend bring me some dumbbells. So I was grateful for all those little things, but I also did what I could to keep my upper body strong. So everything that I could do mentally and physically, and, you know, it's something that I still practice every day. I have, um, a group of my best friends and we call ourselves the God squad and, (laughs) We are like a squad and we got each (laughs) other's back and we write each other 10 things every day that we're grateful for. And we have this app that we use that makes it a little easier because it's one thing to think about it. But then when you're writing it down and you're sharing it, it really gets you to express it, to share it. Then when you read what somebody else is grateful for, well, that can shift your whole perspective.
0: Wow. And I love, I, I love the part of sharing. I think that's where the real power is. And and that's what you're saying is, I know when, like, if, if I share kindness with someone, it's 10 times more powerful for me that I did that because I shared it, Mm -hmm. right? That's kind of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Well, um, you, you, you did a post on your Instagram, you know, recently, uh, it was called the 10 year challenge.
1: I'm like, oh gosh, what did I post? Sometimes you're I like, post, Uh-oh. stuff and I'm like, uh oh, did well, I say that? I left that? all the,
0: <laughs> I left all the sketchy things out. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, you did a ten-year challenge, and I know one of your worries is, will I ever be able to carry my daughter again? And you showed a, a you know, a picture of when you're actually standing on some crutches. You, you're showing your leg, and it's it's pretty mangled up, and and then you show a picture of you now, and. And then it's. I think she's thirteen. Your daughter is that? Yeah, and she comes 13. running. You you show a video, and she jumps into your arms, and then she says, "Run!" And you're like, "Run, okay." And then you run down the hallway with her mm-hmm. in your arms. I, it I it seriously brought me to tears. Talk about just that transformation that you were able to carry her. How did that feel?
1: Well, you know what? Thank you, first of all, for even like noticing that. Um, <laughs> I I had actually uh, I'm constantly, my stories on Instagram are usually our shenanigans at the barn and and stuff that I'm doing (laughs) most of the time with my 13 year old daughter. She's like my favorite sidekick. And, and one day in my stories on Instagram, she ran over, my husband recorded us and it was in my stories. And one of my friends had seen that. And she's like that. I can't believe that you can carry her now that you should post that. So that's Mm. thanks to my friend, Samantha joy, who was like, you should post that. Uh Um, but I remember it took me two years to actually, you know, it took me years of up and down, up and down in and out of a wheelchair in and out of surgeries. And two years we were after my accident, I went to Zuma beach with my family. And I ran on the beach for the first time with my daughter and my husband got a picture of us. And it's crazy because she's little and we have like the same stride and I would run a little bit and fall down and get up and run again. But to be able to hold her now, I mean, it, it just, it means the world because that's something I wanted to do more than ever. People ask for my biggest inspirations. I wanted to be an example of, a woman and a mom who was resilient and who would use her voice and stand up for yeah. what she wants, and who would walk again and not be a victim but a victor yeah. of their Ooh, life.
0: Love that. That's amazing. Well, you really are amazing, Amberly. You really, truly are. You're inspiring me. I'm tearing up every time you're talking, and you know you're doing a lot of good things now. You've been through so much but now it's almost like it goes back to that sharing part you're now giving back of all these you know hard lessons that you've learned and you're you know like we mentioned it in your in your bio but you know you're a peak performance coach you you've you've done a TEDx talk you're a podcaster you're you're an expert in the field of resilience and transformation and you're also the founder of the unstoppable life mastermind Talk about just a little bit about what you're doing now and kind of how that's, you know, shaped you and and continues to shape you.
1: Well, you know, I think that like I talked about before, I was trying to get back to doing coaching clients one-on-one because yeah. I love working with people. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this isn't working out because I was actually, my leg was bleeding out across the gym floor. That's a whole other story. I kept oh, wow. like trying to push hard and I'm like, this is not working out.
0: Oh, and I remember
1: man. thinking, well, what brings me joy? What do I love doing? What would I do? what do I just love doing? And I would work hard and get gritty to endure difficult things to do. And that was still helping people like being of service to yeah, other people. And right. so I thought, okay, well I could still coach people. And then yeah. I started getting you know, calls from people saying, Hey, can you come share your this school can you share I was getting asked to speak at recovery houses and all kinds of stuff and yeah and I thought wow yeah I want to help people how can I do this and so um some somebody said you know you should write a book and I thought okay yeah I want to write a book now I (laughs) didn't even own a computer (laughs) (laughs) and this is just five years ago yeah So doing Zooms, you know, writing a book, all of this, branding, all of that stuff. I was old school. I got all my business through word of mouth. And um, so this was was all new, but I was determined to share my message and turn my pain to purpose Mm. because that brings me joy. When I get to see somebody else who didn't give up because they had that spark of hope, because that's all we need. Like yep. that one little glimmer of hope I had after, you know, when the doctor said, You've got only got a 1% chance of saving your leg. Yeah. That 1% chance was enough to get me through surgery after surgery. Amazing. And that's all we needed. And so, now I love empowering people, whether it's through, you know, stages or conferences or, yeah. you know, my unstoppable mastermind where I, it's for women who want to learn how to share their story to make um, an impact mm. in other people's lives. It's love like, it. I messed up a lot, like yeah. a lot, cause I, I didn't know what I was doing. So if I can save people time, energy, and money and how to get from point A to point B, um, then I'm all for it. I I like to open up my playbook and share how I did it, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember when I got, you know, wrote my book and I got a, a publisher who wanted it. They're like, we don't do any marketing or branding. And I was like, okay. And he goes, so if you want to get your book out there, you have to do that yourself. And I remember going, okay how do I do that? Well, there's this thing called Instagram and I had, you know, a couple hundred followers. I basically had it just to stalk my oldest daughter and I just started posting and sharing my message every day. And I had a goal of getting from, you know, 200 followers to 10,000. So I could do a swipe up in my story. Like I just set these little goals so I could get from point a to point b and i just focused on that and i i really dedicated time in it every day because i know you know it takes it takes commitment and determination i mean you know that look at you with your podcast that has got thousands and thousands if not millions of people that listen to it and that has been uh, um Dedication and grit and perseverance on your part of showing up continuously every week and delivering value like you do. And so um yeah, I mean it's (laughs) I know the I know that podcast world. It's so (laughs) I'm very inspired by what you do because um you've been doing this for a while. And so I look to you and I'm like, oh man, he's amazing. I want my podcast to be like that someday. And oh, I'm
0: sure it is. Wow, that's amazing. You know, um, I I always like to ask this question towards the end here. If there's someone listening to you right now, Amberly, that's struggling, they're in a dark place, they're struggling with whatever it may be, uh, whether it's Mm -hmm. chronic pain, whether it's an addiction, whether it's just they feel less than, what would Mm -hmm. you tell that one person? You've already said some great things, but that one person right now listening to you, what would you tell that person struggling? to have the courage to
1: ask for help. But if you, if there's one thing you can take away from our time together today is ask for help because Mm. that truly changes your life. I think sometimes we feel like we're alone because nobody's going to understand the pain that we're going through or they won't get it. Yeah. And people might not have your exact same situation or circumstance or story, but I will say that there are somebody out there, no matter what you're going through, whether it's physical pain, or maybe you're going through a divorce or you're struggling with addiction, or you're just tired or you're anxious or depressed, whatever it is, there are other people out there that are going through something similar. And there are other people out there that have already gotten through that and they yeah. can show you the way. And so reach out for help.
0: Yeah. Wow. Beautiful advice. And and like you said earlier in in the podcast, asking for help saved your life. And Mm -hmm. it seems so simple, but it's so powerful. If We'll just reach out and say, Hey, I'm struggling. I need to talk to someone or I need that. So beautiful advice. If someone wanted to reach out to you, Amberly, and get to know you better, um, buy your book, um, maybe sign up for coaching or, you know, follow you or even do your mastermind class. What's the best way for them to do that?
1: You know what? Reach out, text me, especially if you're out there listening and you're struggling. Seriously, text me at 818-214-7378. And I read every single message. And it's funny because some people say, Amberly, is this really you? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, yep, it's really me. And that's why it took me two days to get back to you. Yeah. And I know like some people have assistants or teams that get back to their, but right. I like hearing from people. My favorite thing from my whole journey, my book writing, everything is connection and connecting yeah. with people. And so just text me and say you heard, you know heard our conversation. You're like, Hey, I heard you and Todd talking and wanted to reach out. And if you want, you want a free playbook on how to build your resilience. Just text me the word grit G R I T. Mm -hmm. And I have a playbook that I just put together um, because I wanted to see how can I give something that somebody can get that's a tangible tool in their hand well, to teach them okay. my pacer method to help them be love resilient it. and get gritty, but to give themselves some grace along the way. Too.
0: Wow. I love that. And and I will put Do that so. in the
1: yeah, text playbook.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I'll put that in the show notes and that way. And it's interesting. I was looking at your link tree and it did say in there, text me. And I thought, how cool. <laughs> <laughs> She's, yeah, yeah it's a that. good
1: way to connect because yeah, a lot sure. of people don't do email and so i mean you can email me too and you can right. go to amberlylago.com or instagram yeah. but you know i find that texting is a good way to yeah. to keep in touch with people i, I mean i try personal. to do it all like sure. uh the email the newsletter the <laughs> social media the podcast you know and yeah yeah
0: well wow. Well, Amberly, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today and sharing your amazing story of resiliency and and turning tragedy into triumph. You truly are an an amazing example to all of us. And I'll speak for me, man. It's like this is this has made me want to be better at what I do. And uh, you really are an inspiration in my eyes.
1: Mm, Todd, thank you so much. This is like I have really enjoyed getting to talk with you and. Again, I'm so inspired by all that you've done with your podcast and what you're doing to make such an impact. So for me to get to be (laughs) here with you is a really an honor. Um, so thank you. And I hope I get to see you in Salt Lake, or maybe you'll come to Dallas sometime and see, see us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let me know when you're in town and we'll, 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 I'll take you to dinner on this side. And if I'm ever in Texas, we'll do that as well. Okay, and you're uh, gonna be
1: surprised when I I'm gonna. Okay.
0: All right. <laughs> I'm I'll gonna, I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna hold you to it. Well, yeah, I would love that. I would love to meet your family and everything. It'd be awesome. So um, but yeah, thank you for everything.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: You bet. Well, there you go, folks. I told you this was going to be one of those amazing stories from an amazing person, uh, Amberly Lago. Please reach out to her. You can text her. She said it already. Uh, check out her website, check her out on Instagram. Um, She's doing amazing things and it'll be inspiring. If you have a loved one who's struggling and you're not sure how to even talk to them, because sometimes that can be awkward, send them this episode and to say, Hey, listen to this and then have them follow up or you follow back up with them. And it's a great way to break the ice. So please do that. And I love you guys. Thanks to our sponsors. And once again, Everly, thank you for being a, a, a very powerful light in this world.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Until next time, everybody.